I don't think we'll talk about it. I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll you will do gush other about things it. to it. The two of you will gush about it. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's Google I.O. We know the date. We know it's going to be bigger. It's going to be better than last year. We have a new Android 14 developer preview, which focuses on the new predictive back gesture. Lots of other hints at bigger features coming, likely announced at I.O. Sonos has a couple of new speakers, which I went to New York to listen to. They are impressive, but not as life-changing as I think Sonos wants them to be. We'll talk about why. There's a lot of phone news trickling out of MWC that I still want to get into. I've been using the Xiaomi 13 Pro. Really, really interesting phone. I want to talk about that. And then there's just a bunch of social and like platform news. Spotify got a big redesign. YouTube is allowing you to swear again and monetize that, those swear words, which is Hell fucking yeah. cool. Heck yeah. And Facebook's pairing company, Meta, is building a Twitter clone, a decentralized Twitter clone. This is really interesting. We'll talk about that. All right, Will, Ara, welcome. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing as well as anyone can be on day eight of COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. that's the story. That's the big news this week. Will went to MWC for the first time, yeah. got to experience the beauty of Barcelona, and then got sick the next day. Yes. Uh, I have a friend who made a joke at me on Twitter and then at a, in a separate podcast where he mentioned me. Uh, because I went to Spain to get COVID, I can now uh, conjugate it in the uh, formal. So yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, I, I don't know if Spanish COVID is different than than American COVID, but I'm doing okay. I've been back to work since Tuesday. We're good. Just you know, does Spanish COVID give you access to Iberico ham? Because <laughs> if it does, then it's worth it. Yeah, and yeah, I've only been eating small plates. I, I can only. <laughs> yeah, you just like. The Spanish government just like issues you a quota of tapas yes. while you're sick. It's 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 actually quite fun. You get to stay at home and just like gouge yourself on delicious, delicious ham. Ara Dole Whip is now gonna be sold outside That's of the real Disney Studios. Yeah. Dole Whip is already sold outside of Disney because you can go. You're going to go yeah. to a grocery store. Yeah, the beauty and find is that it. you yeah. are not going to need an ice cream maker in order to get yes. Dole Whip at home. Mm. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. But I mean, uh, Dole Whip, uh, they sell them in five pound bags to ice cream stores like all the time. So, like, the, the, literally the Froyo place down the street for me has Dole Whip. I don't have to go to Adventureland for that. Yeah, but it's like a corporate thing. Like, who has an ice cream maker yeah. at home? I do. Really? Well, I have well, one of I those technically little freezer- do, but. Yeah, I was gonna say I had yeah. one of those little freezer bowls, but yeah, in college I had an I actually had a little small ice cream maker because they're stupid easy to use in the age of electronics because it's just you have a bowl that you stick in your freezer, and then when you want to make ice cream, you pull the bowl out, you pour in your stuff, uh, clamp on a little electronic motor and spinner uh, and beater on top of the bowl, and then it just runs. I have a Ninja Creamy, which can make <laughs> like. Uh, milkshakes and ice cream and all this stuff uh which we don't use often enough because it is a it is a bit of a you have to like plan it you have to like unless it's a milkshake uh, and you're using pre-existing ice cream you have to like 24 hours ahead of time like prep it um it wouldn't work with the the dole whip mix there is at least one place that serves them near me but now i will be able to just go to my local 
grocery store and buy something close enough in the freezer aisle. Which I'm just bummed they don't have the best flavor for it in the freezer aisle because the lime is the best. And we have like, I want to say pineapple, raspberry, and I think strawberry. I want all of them. I thought I was so ahead of the game with like an instant pot that I bought in 2017 on Black Friday with like an air fryer attachment. I yeah. was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this right. I graduated from the slow cooker. I went the opposite but, direction. I ditched Instant Pot and I have fallen in love with the slow cooker. I think it's great. We got one a few months ago. It's so good. Slow cookers are hella easy to use. There are a bajillion recipes out there because that was the kitchen appliance for so long. Yeah. I don't know. I still love my Instant Pot. Crockpots are just also cuter to collect. So mm. Debatable. All right. Let's get into it. IO is May 10th. It's a one-day event. That's going to be a keynote that, I don't know, maybe it's going to be six hours this year because there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, Google is going to spend a lot of it talking about BARD and the future of Google search powered by AI. I would say that'll make up the majority of it. How many times will they flub on stage? <laughs> I'm going to say Will three. BARD insult Sundar Pichai on stage accidentally? <laughs> it's going to happen too um, many times for it to be a drinking game. That's, how, that's all I'm going to say. We should definitely post like a drinking game plan <laughs> for the google io keynote that is going to be incredible I, I will write that absolutely all right we'll figure out the specifics but yeah i mean there's it's going to be a big one interesting that it is only a one-day event given that they are inviting a lot more people this year so last year if you recall it was in person but they invited a handful of developers and an even smaller number of press i think i could count on one hand the number of press that i knew that attended this year, I got an invite. You got an invite, Will. Yeah. I know a lot of my colleagues and friends got an invite. So they're bringing the social aspect of IO back. But IO has always been a two to three day event. There's always been sessions, uh, like a second day keynote for develop. Like it's just been a bit more of a festival atmosphere. And I think, obviously, with the economy threatening a recession, Google is likely cutting back on the expenses. They're cutting back on the scale of it. I think COVID is still looming. It's not something that they really are thinking about that much, but it's looming. I think a one-day event kind of makes sense, but it's also going to pack a ton into that keynote. Aside from Bard, we're expecting Android 14 hardware, probably going to announce the Pixel. I mean, maybe not the 7A. I think the but 7A is I'm a, hoping is the given. 7A, because the 7A think... needs to get further away from the flagship pixel release. No, it, it'll still launch in July. I I, th I think 7A is a given. I think fold is a big question mark. I think the 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 8 I I they've really liked teasing stuff out, right? Like the tablet in the fall and then well, last year. Well, if they show you the product early enough, then there's nothing left for leakers to really look at. Right. That's I think that's their their current and I'm okay and that's with not that even strategy, true, but, but to be fair. The leakers will still hit it. But yeah, it's like last year we had the unexpected 7 and 7 Pro tease on stage. And then at the Pixel 7 event, we had the tablet shown off on stage, which is still, I, I think that also gets formally announced at, at I.O. Like, I, I don't know where else that happens at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pixel Fold is... So the Pixel 7a and the Pixel tablet will likely be given release dates and pricing at I.O. And then they tease the Pixel Fold and the Pixel 8 series. That will come in October. That is my prediction. I'm on board with that. I think that's right. All right, cool. Other than that, I mean, 
I'm excited. I'm, I may not be going. I'm excited for you to go, Will, because IO, aside from MWC, is like my favorite event to attend. Yeah. It's really fun. My favorite parts about it is are, are the, the random encounters with developers that like make apps that you absolutely love. Yeah. I got to hang out with like the Pocket Casts guys a few years ago and just like chat with them. They're making, and I know, I know that company has, has changed hands, you know, several times. A million times. Or, yeah. But, yeah. But, but they're, they're, this week they announced they're making a Wear OS app. I could not be more happy about it. Like, I, this has been a constant complaint of mine about how like the Apple Watch has a Pocket Cast app and Wear OS does not. And it's so annoying. So I just, sorry, you brought it up. I just want to say I'm so happy that it's finally like, a reality. Yeah, I agree. It's about time, as Lizzo would say. <laughs> so Android 14 DP2 is here. How many developer previews are there going to be? Six, seven? Well, no, there's only going to be like four and then we get the beta. No, 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 this is it. This is it before the beta. Oh, there's right. Only one, the beta is it? in April this year. It was in April last so year, happy. too. It was, it was actually, I forgot about this. It rolled out really late in April last year. It was like April like 22nd or something. It and was, then we it got was, the second version at IO. At IO, which is like, like two it, weeks later. Yeah, it was very odd because I think we all expected early April. And, and to be honest, I was expecting it again this year. I'd completely forgotten until I was looking up coverage for DP2 this week. And I was like, oh, I forgot that hit really late in April, like way later than we expected. Oh, so, you're right. Yeah. That's interesting. April yeah. beta one, May beta two. Yeah. June platform stability, July four, beta four and five. Yep. And then the final release likely in August. Yeah. It's the same schedule they used last year. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not expecting. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that they cut down on the number yeah. of developer previews. Yeah. Which is, um, it's probably for the best because installing a, a developer preview is like, you got to really jump through some hoops. Um, installing a beta is, is like literally just like a couple clicks and then you get an OTA delivered to your phone. It's much easier. It's also, but there's more also stable. like these incremental fixes during each developer preview that they don't really talk about. Like they used to release a brand new developer preview to fix bugs as well as introduce new features. Now they're introducing like 2.1, 2.2 if necessary during right. that month. Right. So I think that makes more sense. Yeah. So DP2 is basically a lot of the stuff that Michelle Rahman and other people found hidden behind flags in, in DP1. Like it's that stuff. Now it's active, basically. That's kind of what we saw this week. So I, I think the biggest one is um, we talked a lot about it last month. We talked about it, I think, last year because originally we thought it was going to launch with Android 13. But uh, predictive back gestures are finally, you can just go enable them in developer settings. like. They're not perfect. They're actually pretty buggy. They only work with a handful of apps. Like I'm, I'm literally, I have my Pixel 6 in front of me right now on the settings menu because I know the settings menu supports it. But like, it is interesting. You can finally see what Google is trying to do here, which is like when you go to swipe back, you will see the app or the page or your home screen, whatever it's about to send you to, you will see it pop up like a card. So like in my case, like, if I'm in the settings menu, Chrome is where I came from. When I swipe backwards, it's going to send me to Chrome. Or if I came from the home menu, it shows my home screen. It's going to send me to the home screen. It's actually really cool. It's the same like back tab, but now like you get to see what's behind it. And it is much more complicated than it sounds on paper. It's why Google has taken like I, I looked. I, I first wrote about this on the site last May. So it's been almost a year since we found out about this. And now we finally could see it like in person. But yeah, I think it's a big 
change that a lot of regular users might not notice right away. Like they might not, once it's live on their phones, hopefully with a stable build of Android 14, they might not be like, oh, I can't wait to try predictive back gestures. But I do think it will go a long way in clearing up the sense of confusion you can sometimes feel when you're swiping back in an app of where you're going to go. Yeah, I think the freedom of being able to swipe back from either side of the screen does introduce some UX confusion. And it's interesting too, because like I'll talk about the phone itself in a, in a few minutes, but I've been using the Xiaomi 13 Pro and MIUI, and I think some other Chinese manufacturer skins limit where you can, or how far up the display you can swipe. So like I think around 60% up the display, you can't swipe back. Only only lets you gesture oh. in the the bottom sixty percent of the screen. That's odd. Yeah, because I can on the on my Pixel Six, I can do it like the top left corner will still let me like swipe back. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Pixel does that too. So I mean the the uh, the Galaxy series does that too. So I I think it's because they want to allow for like special features in that top section, so you can have sort of shortcuts enabled in that area, and they don't want it to overlap, but. It is interesting, like, I wonder if Google is going to force, like what they did with forcing Android manufacturers to implement consistent back gestures in the first place in Android, I think it was Android 10, they might force manufacturers to adopt this API and, and make it a lot more predictable. It's interesting, like, again, going back to the Xiaomi, we know that the gesture system doesn't always work very nicely with third-party launchers. and. A lot of that has to do, I think, with how the gesture system integrates with all of those other things, right? So you talk about how back in the day, Android had the dedicated multitasking button, and you tap on that square, and it would bring up the different windows that you'd be able to choose from. I don't really use that very much anymore, because it's now a swipe and hold from the bottom. Right. And, and instead, I prefer my- that. I'm, I'm happy that it's just a gesture instead of it being a whole separate button. Because oh, I agree depending with you, on the actually, app, that button might have other uses. Right. But I also think what's important here is that my guess is that most Android users now don't think about the back gesture. They just do it. Like, I don't think about it. I just swipe, swipe, swipe until I get back to the home screen or, or I'll, I swipe up once to get to the home screen. But it's like, because you're doing it hundreds or thousands of times a day, there's really no context for where you're going. You know, sometimes an app will send you back to the previous screen. Sometimes an app will send you back home. And I think this predictive back gesture is trying to anticipate and make more obvious where you're going to land when you swipe back, right? Yeah, I think that's basically it. Like I said, I don't expect regular people to like really notice it right away, but I do think it's a massive change for the better because like, I don't know, the back gesture... Or even like the back button has been like a constant source of confusion for people. Even people like us who work at an Android centric site, right? Or like have worked at an Android centric site, Daniel, like I know you can found that, but um Wow. You're just like Well, just like well you know, I'm me just out I'm of your, including of your you. I wanna make sure you're included. You're, you're just oh th- okay. I wanna honor your title. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, but like there are times where you're in an app and you hit back and you think it's going to do one thing and it does another. And this is hopefully going to fix that, which is great. Like it's a, it's a huge improvement, even if it's kind of one that again, it, it's, it's uh what's the Plinket quote? Like you might not have noticed it, but your brain did like, that's what this is. Yeah. 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 For sure. 
I like the fact that you don't think about this anymore, that gestures have just become, I remember that awful year where the gesture system was three swipes, three different gesture areas. (laughs) I was just working on updating our history of Android gestures article yesterday, specifically to include more stuff about predictive back gestures. That update should be on the site within a few days. But yeah, I literally just had to like revisit all the Android 9 Pi stuff. That stupid pill that I know some people like, but God, what a, a swing and a miss, I think. On you that. can still get the pill on Samsung phones. Really? Yeah, it's still offered as an option. I didn't even notice it when I set up the S23 Ultra. That's so weird. I mean, the S23 Ultra still gives you buttons if you set it up like new. So mine was very odd, and I talked about this with a couple of people who are at the Samsung event, is that when I took it out, Samsung had installed a SIM card for me. But also, like, when I booted it, gestures were enabled out of the box. And I genuinely thought that that was like, I was like, oh, Samsung finally made the switch. And then I also tried the S23 Plus that Samsung sent me, and that one did not have, and no one else seemed to have gestures enabled out of the box. I don't know what was up with my S23 (laughs) Ultra that made it that way. But yeah, I was very excited for like half a second, and then a bunch of people burst my bubble. And I was like, oh, just a weird fluke with my phone. I don't know why. Yeah, I complained about this in an article, I think last year, and everybody got upset with me because they were like, this is not a problem that normal people experience because we only change phones like once every three years. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. The whole idea here is that Samsung is going against the grain for no reason. There is no reason in 2022 or 2023 to use these buttons by default. Most people will not dig into the settings to change it. And that bears out every time I see a quote, normal person using a Samsung phone, they're using, they're using buttons, buttons. Yep, every not time. gestures. And it's just like, why? This is a better way. It's, it's objectively a, a smoother experience. Google has been using this as a default on their Pixel phones since Android 10. Yeah, they forced it on Pixel. So yeah. what has happened? Like, I don't know. It just it blows my mind that this is not a thing. Anyway, let's move on. So other DP2 stuff, anything interesting there? The lava lamp is back. In the, the lava lamp is back. I'm happy player. about that. For people who don't know, it's the um, effect over the, the music player. It, it looks great. I don't know why they had it and then ditched it, but it's here. I hope it sticks. So it's like lava lamp plus squiggle. It's just like yeah. so much going on in this media <laughs> player now. Um, the revamped permission control options for all apps to manage your photos that looks straight out of iOS. That's active now. If apps still want to take advantage of the quote unquote permissionless version that came in Android 13, they can. But now if your app isn't using that, it will prompt you to allow access to photos and videos and you can choose all some or none, which is big. There's a regional preferences page so you can adjust your temperature, you know, the first day of the week stuff like that for every app. You don't have to adjust it on a per app basis, which is if you're traveling or if you're a European person living in the US for a while, like, and you want to keep it in in Celsius or whatever, like that is cool. Like Um, a normal person. Fahrenheit is so much better and I will die on this hill. Fahrenheit is so dumb. It's better for weather. It has a wider range. It's better for cooking. That is the truth of it. It's better for cooking. Because it allows for a wider range of temperatures and it allows you to be more precise. That's how I feel about weather though. Because like most days it's between 0 and 100. So if I tell you it's 90, you know it's hot. And if I tell you it's 10, you know it's cold. 
And it just Celsius just doesn't have that. It's just not there. So that's all I'm saying. I think um, intelligent I, I, people know the difference. Between that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It's just, degrees. you know, every time I convert it from Fahrenheit to Celsius, I have to be like, oh, it's like it's like 22. It's like 23. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just saying bigger range, bigger numbers. Do not at me on this. I will not reply to you. Um, I was just going to say there. Most days are between zero and 100, to which I'm like, I grew up in Texas and I currently live in Florida. 100 is not the maximum that is normal for us. Also, most and zero days is in those not the lowest here. I'm just like giving a range. 80 and 100. So your range isn't that great in those places. All right. Well, as a place with four seasons. The I- irony is that in your estimation, Fahrenheit would be far more useful in Canada than it would be in most of the US. This is what I'm saying. But it's not because it's a bad system that's not adopted by any other country except yours. All right. So, Jules, cut wonder- everything Daniel said and just leave in my stuff. Uh, <laughs> just, just just put like the the swearing like throughout the entire section. Everybody would appreciate that. There's a uh, I don't know the, the the other big thing is um not big but there's a new accessibility setting that will let your camera flash go off when a notification comes in. And I just know AP's Stephen Shank was very excited about this because he misses notification lights and he wants to bring it back. Apparently by having his phone flash. Everyone, every time he gets a text message, which is a choice. I told him to go pick up a Sony phone because those still have notification lights on them. And he told me no. So. Or you just get the new Realme GT3. Oh, does that still has, have one on it? It doesn't have oh, a light. Oh, it has the, right. It has, it has like the, I wrote glyph, about this. It has the, 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 yeah, the, like the C-shaped ring. ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, thing is cool. I, I, I will I admit on it. like, it's the only thing that's really interesting about this phone. And it, that and the, it charges fast. <laughs> no, that's not interesting. It's not interesting, but. Yeah, it says it charges at two forty watts, but in the U.S. it doesn't. Oh, charges no, at absolutely not. Anyway, okay, um, DP two. It's small, but like we're building towards a beta. Like we're one step closer. Predictive back gestures is the big thing here, but it's the idea of what this is of what Android fourteen is is like forming. But I don't, I don't know if we fully have an idea of what like you know like last year it was a big focus on like security and privacy. I don't know if we know really what Android fourteen is it might just be another update like it might not have a theme it might just have a bunch of changes like we don't know i think that's what ios has become yeah there's very few ios releases these days that have a cohesive theme yeah and we might be there you're getting up to this number right it's just a grab bag of things that google or apple could accomplish in the last year yeah but i mean to that point like i said like the first time we wrote about predictive back gestures was last may like we thought that was going to be an android 13 thing it wasn't finished in time it's now coming with Android 14. Like that might just be how updates work now. So yeah, I mean that's always been the case, right? Google announces something sure, at right. I/O and then it yeah. never rolls out, <laughs> right. or it rolls out in five years, and by that time you've forgotten about it and it's taken on a completely different context. Yeah, what a fun company to cover. R.I.P. Uh, uh, assistant driving mode. Oh my god, no, we're not going there. All right, I want to talk quickly about these new Sono speakers. So they are the Era 300, the Era 100. If you're into smart speakers, you'll know that Google, Amazon, all of the companies that sort of make smart speakers that use some sort of assistant have really just stepped back over the last couple of years. Nobody is really taking hi-fi seriously in the smart speaker space. And I think there's something to be said about the commoditization of this category. Amazon echoes Google Nest Audios, even like the mini versions of each company's speakers, Apple's new HomePod, like 
they sound pretty good. It's not going to be easy to get more out of those sizes and and those shapes. And I I think like by and large, companies like Amazon and, and Google are just doubling down on like integration with other smart home. Like they're waiting for Matter and they're waiting for like Echoes are now used as Eero repeaters. It's less about the focus on sound quality as it is about all the other things that these speakers can do in the rooms that they're in. Where Sonos is really making a big deal about, hey, these are the first standalone speakers we've released since 2019, since the move. These are focused on music and fidelity. The Era 100 is the successor to the Sonos One and Sonos Play One. The history of the Sonos One is really interesting, right? It was released in 2013. It, at the time, was like a really big deal amazing sounding, even though it was a mono speaker, just really good sound for, I think it was 250 bucks, connected to the Sonos ecosystem, which by then had grown into really the best way to kind of stream audio throughout your house. It worked with Spotify and Pandora and all these services. They were famously like very neutral. They did not preference one service over the other. Back in 2017, the Sonos Play One was replaced with the Sonos One, slight redesign, better internals, more powerful hardware, but by and large was the same speaker. That was refreshed in 2019 with even faster internals that supported the new S2 platform, use Bluetooth LE to make your phone connect to it more easily. But again, by and large, very similar experience. It used the microphones on the top to support Google Assistant and 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 Amazon's. And then Sonos sued Google, all that litigation stuff we've talked about in the past. Now we have the Sonos Era 100, similar shape. It's a little bit more rounded. It has two tweeters facing in different directions. So ostensibly it's giving you stereo separation, but it's not really, it's still a single box. If you want proper stereo, buy two of these, but it sounds a lot better. The woofer's a little bit bigger. Now though, I think the big ticket item here is that it supports Bluetooth natively. So you can just press a Bluetooth pairing button. Sonos didn't support native, like just straight up Bluetooth. Sonos yeah. hated Bluetooth. Really? Okay, so the whole- I mean, I get that you want to prioritize your own- like... No, no, no. This is not about like prioritizing like your ecosystem. This is about Sonos, the sound company, basically just decrying Bluetooth yeah. quality forever. So they introduced Bluetooth with the Sonos Move in 2019 because that was a portable speaker. And then they did the same thing with the Rome, which was the small portable speaker, the waterproof, whatever the next year, but their Bluetooth stack has always been terrible, like unusably bad. So they really went back to the drawing board. They said, redesigned it. Now it supports Bluetooth 5, way more reliable, better sound quality, et cetera. On the other hand, like it's still SBC and AAC, so it's not like using high quality codecs, but still the actual Bluetooth experience is gonna be better, but they're like, we don't like Bluetooth, but we're gonna give it to people because that's what they want. On the other hand, now they also have line-in support through an adapter. So there's a USB-C port on the back. Famously, Sonos only supported line-in on the Play 5 and Sonos 5, which are like $550. That was the only way that you could get a, say, like a turntable connected to a Sonos speaker. Or you had to have one of those really expensive amps, which are like $800. So now you can just buy an adapter and you can plug in a turntable, whatever. So that's the 100, it's 249, it'll be available at the end of March. It's good, not super impressive. What's really interesting is the Era 300. 
This is focused on spatial audio. So there are six drivers altogether. One facing left, one facing right, one facing forward, one facing up, and then two woofers. So where it kind of lands is like better than Era 100, not quite as bassy and like powerful as the Sonos 5, but it's pretty good for the price, which is $450. And it supports native Dolby Atmos. So the other Sonos speakers that have supported Dolby Atmos to date are soundbars, so the Sonos Arc and the Sonos Beam 2, whereas this supports it for music. Out of the gate, it'll support it with Amazon Music Unlimited and Apple Music with an update later this month. So that's interesting. I don't know about you, Will, but like spatial audio has never really caught my attention, even though companies like Apple have been making a bigger deal about it. At the same time, I've never really tried to listen to spatial audio through anything but headphones because I haven't really wanted to. And also like the only experience I've had with it has been the Arc. And while that sounds fine as a music speaker, it's really not optimized for music. Well, for spatial audio, I almost feel like proper speaker systems are the best way to view it because spatial audio will give you certain sounds on the left, certain sounds on the right, and like surround. But having it through the whole room instead of just you is just going to make for a better experience, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. Except that you need a really good system yeah. with proper height channels to give you oh, absolutely. the fidelity that is... Atmos is supposed to be offering. And most people don't have that. This is the next best thing. And it's way, way, way easier to set up. Yeah, I've always been kind of convinced that spatial audio is just a bit too gimmicky for me. Like I want to just kind of not that I'm always passively listening to music, but the amount of times that I am putting on an album and sitting and listening to it, it's rare. And usually if I'm doing that, I want to kind of hear the mix, like how it was mixed. Like I want to hear what I'm supposed to hear and not not have to. So I don't know. I I, I remain skeptical of spatial audio. I'm not against it. Like if I got an Era 300 and it, it blew me away, I would probably end up using it, but using spatial audio more. But yeah, I've also only done it on headphones, and I have, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's the future of music, but, but yeah. Yeah, and I think what, what they're telling us is, like, from a hardware perspective, they need to support it so that it'll incentivize... Which makes sense. ...labels and studios to actually master good quality spatial mixes in a way that's not distracting. Like you don't you don't want a Rolling Stones mix yeah. where like that's the guitar my issue, is way is in the back left I have and found the drums it are way in the back right. And it's like, well, this is clearly not how it was supposed to be heard. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of where I am. If it's properly mixed and it's not even just like, I think it would have to be the artist or at least the producer is like involved in the spatial audio mix for me to like really want to like start checking this stuff out because otherwise it's like, what was the last, I think the last album, uh, it, not that this album is brand new, but it was the last one that I, I, I it took me forever to get to it, but I listened to always is uh, blue rev. Like that was the last album. I remember being like, I'm going to give this my attention and not just like put it on the background while I'm working. And that's a fairly sonically dense album for an indie drop. And I don't know if it would work as well if some of the elements of it were muted because I was in a certain part of the room or what, you know, you know what I mean? Like it would need to have like producer level involvement, I think. Yeah. Agreed. Is it kind of weird that for spatial audio, like the thing I want to see support it more, is it necessarily like bands and concert type stuff? It's more of like 
I kind of want to hear more like soundtracks and orchestral music in spatial so you can like tell where the sections are sitting or arrange it to where the sound translates to like which side of the screen the action would be coming from or matching up with whatever film or movie that it came from. Because when I listen to soundtracks, for some soundtracks, literally I can count to the beat of, okay, this was what was on screen. This was the pacing of this. This is where this happened. And being able to do that with the soundtracks would be kind of amazing. But I also just feel like that's something that it's already music that is used to being mixed in particular ways and mixed in different kind of like surround slash 360 design. I feel like that would be A, a nice jumping off point, but B, also something that it's not as much artist-based as it is record-based. So it would be easier to like contact the producers and the composers and just get back in there and like, okay, we've already recorded this, so we just need to arrange this the way that we think it deserves to be. I agree. I think it might just be a matter of financial incentive, right? Soundtracks are, I mean, the overhead of, re- of reproducing something in, in Atmos for a movie soundtrack might be fairly low. Yeah, that but was my other thought. Is like the return from like a, a record label perspective is is also fairly low, and I think what's going to be interesting in the future is like how are record labels going to find ways to charge more for spatial mixes? Yeah, Apple Music right now does not charge more for high quality streaming like lossless streaming or spatial, but there may be a future where they do, and they say. We're going to differentiate our pricing tiers and charge you $15 or $20 a month and integrate spatial and lossless and maybe one other thing to kind of push you to that tier. Spotify famously has done neither of these things, right? So Spotify offers neither Hi-Fi. They announced it two years ago. They just had a stream day this week, did not mention Hi-Fi at all. And they are also not supporting Atmos yet. So the biggest streaming platform in the world is ignoring this differentiation. And I find that really fascinating right now. But also like just this week, Google rolled out a spatial audio update for the Pixel Buds Pro. This has kind of been a long awaited addition. They announced it back when the Pixel Buds were announced last year, but we just didn't have the update yet. This supports Dolby Atmos. So if you are watching an Atmos stream on Netflix or Disney Plus, you'll now be able to support head tracking with that, which is also interesting. But again, like, is that really the way that you want to experience spatial? I'm not convinced that a pair of tiny little earbuds is the best way to do spatial audio, but it's better than nothing. Earbuds are are okay for it. What I really like is for the like super good wireless headphones. That would exactly. be a better experience for it. But yeah. it's also a matter of, I think part of the reason Spotify is ignoring hi-fi is because A, it would require more bandwidth. Most people stream, they don't download unless they're like on the go in the car or something like that. But even then, a lot of people are just like, I have unlimited data. Why the hell would I download anything? Airplanes. Yes. Yeah, I I'm- always make that mistake. I'm always <laughs> on the I've runway, been about to go recently, to... Yeah. to fly and i'm like shit i only have one album and i don't want to listen to it right now and then i frantically try to get (laughs) as much as i can downloaded before i fly and it never works because for some reason airports are like a 5g black hole 
and like it always down. Well, most sam- airports have free Wi-Fi. No, at this but he's, point. No, he's on the plane. On the, plane. He, oh. the, the plane is taxiing. <laughs> it's, it's literally I, been I'm like five minutes to go, and like my heart rate's at one sixty. If you have boarded your airplane, you have already missed the cutoff. You had however Thank you, long Ara. you were at I don't the need gate. this shaming. <laughs> you do don't deserve this shaming because am I the only one who has like? Okay, granted, I don't automatically like download everything on a device because I usually don't want to burn one of my authorizations until i have to but oh every fo- every time i set up a phone, conversation yeah every should time not I s- even be a thing it shouldn't youtube music should just not even care how many devices you yeah, use spotify has never what year is this <laughs> like do we want to just jump to spotify i know we're yeah let's just do that okay, okay so yeah. we're done with the sono stuff let's talk spotify quickly yeah then we'll go back time up. yeah yeah but um all right spotify had a massive well not massive i don't know if it's it's a redesign this week that really emphasizes like I don't know, experience over just lean back listening. I, I don't really understand what Spotify is trying to do here, but basically <laughs> it's trying, yeah, exactly. It's trying to do everything, which is not great because no. it's already doing too much. It was already pushing us to listen to podcasts when none of us wanted that. But yeah, we'll take us through what these changes entail. Sure. Okay. So if you open Spotify on your phone right now, right? Like, first of all, it's a mess. I think that's fair. My stupid home screen is like it, the words good morning take up a tenth of it for no reason because Spotify wants to greet me. There's a picked for you section in the dead middle of the screen that is a serial killers podcast that is exclusive to Spotify that I will never listen to. It's great, right? So they're like, okay, we hear you. It's too hard to get to your music. You want an experience, right? So like below that good morning or good afternoon or whatever it says, there are tabs now where it's like music or podcasts or, and shows or audiobooks. So it's like, for me, I really just want Spotify for music. That's what I pay it for. You tap music. It's like, okay, here's your music feed, which you would think would be better. I don't know if it is. Like, I still think this is bad. So for me, if you tap music, almost the entire screen is taken up by their AI-powered DJ feature that we talked about two or three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, um, which Daniel, you and I talked about it in Slack this week of like, it's better than we thought, but still not great. Well, I the actual is, DJ is better yeah. because it's it's not like talking at you for minutes. Yeah, the it's mix like, is hey, the issue. <laughs> yeah, it's the actual music selection yeah. that sucks. And that's far worse. And I never thought that would be an issue. But it's like giving me stuff that I will not want to listen to. And obviously, I think it'll learn over time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This this does not feel like a must-use feature but, to me. So it's like you scroll through like it's Instagram or something. So it's just like a long list of like, for me, it's there's a your top mixes feed. But then it's like more like JPEG Mafia. Here's an alternative hip hop playlist. More like our new release from Hot Chip. Here's a single from Hot Chip. Here's the, here's the this is Weezer playlist. God. Um, and you know like, you, you love know, that like one. Just, you listen to that all the time. I love Weezer. I'm an unabashed Weezer fan. I'll defend them till I die. Um, I'm the Matt Damon in the in the Weezer SNL sketch from a few years ago. Absolutely. That's a that's a deep cut. I, like I it, it will never leave my mind. I think that's an underrated SNL sketch. Some of this doesn't even make sense for fans of the Avalanches. Here's lo-fi hip hop. I don't know. Whatever. And two chains is on the lo-fi hip hop playlist. Okay, Jesus, Spotify. Uh, this is gonna turn into us know. just it, like going through your your letterbox again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My point is is that like this is still not really giving me what I want from a music app, which is like I don't know if this is helping me discover anything. It's just kind of recommending 
me stuff I either listen to or it's like swinging and missing. And it's also taking up so much visual space. I don't know. It's just kind of a mess to me. And I kind of want to just switch to Apple Music. <laughs> Daniel, I, what, what is your opinion on the feed? I would switch to Apple Music if I believed that Apple Music would be as good an experience. I mean, that's the thing. It's like I use Android most of the time. I would say like yeah, 80% of the, the year. Yeah, that's the issue. That's what keeps me from it too is that I've used the Android app and it's not very good. Right, exactly. For Apple Music. Yeah, it's not very good. So, so Spotify at least like is now at a point where it respects Android. It didn't for a long time. And like the no, usability it of it was terrible. Yeah. Now it's a UX disaster, but like, it's on par. It's, it's the, the same the, experience the, on the Yeah, at least iPhone. it has the same feature set, even though I don't like most of the features. Yeah. And whereas Apple Music, I just don't trust it to ever. No, it's a good level. point. Yeah. So anyway, and also well, like. Where do I go? I don't like YouTube music either. And we just complained about the stupid device limit, which was an issue dating back to Google Play Music and drove me crazy then. Like that. I, I mean, to be fair, the device deauthorization limit is something I have not run into on YouTube Music. I ran into it with Google Play Music before I even had this job where I'm jumping between a hundred phones. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not a it's like, not a regular person issue, but still, it's an it's it shouldn't be there. It's just stupid. I mean, yeah. it also is a matter of for YouTube Music and YouTube, it won't tell you until you run out of deauthorizations, and it only counts towards mm. things that you download music on. Can you still only deauthorize so many devices like a year or something? Yeah, that's the thing. You can have 10 devices authorized and you can only deauthorize four a year. The last that I Why? checked the rule. Why is that a limit? Like, I don't... You want to say like, oh, like our license is only good for so many devices. Sure, fine, it's stupid, but sure. But like, why? Why can I only deauthorize so many devices? It's the same reason that Webtoon has it, dude. So you can't share. It's what? it's stupid, but that's why Neil they Mohan, do it. Man. You Neil, if you're have... listening to this, which I'm sure you're not, this is the top <laughs> issue you have to solve at YouTube right now. Everything else is secondary. Eh, Get rid of the de-off limit. Yep. No, no. Yep. That's not... He fixed swearing. It's fine. He okay, fixed... yeah, let's talk about that. So YouTube now allows you to monetize F-words. I don't know when this was taken away. Uh, was a, it... a, couple, a couple months ago. Okay, it was, was last November. Yeah. So... This is, it's a pretty recent change, but I guess yeah. they talked to some of their ad partners and they're like, look, are you cool with this again? And they're like, yeah, all right, let's let the folks swear. But well, the, the rule was dumb because like they were like, oh, it's only if it's in the first, I think it, our article says eight seconds. I think it was a little longer than that, but whatever, let's say eight seconds. But like, that wasn't even true. They didn't even hold themselves to that. Sometimes you wouldn't swear for 90 seconds and it would still get demonetized like it, it was all over like well, it's it like was everything just so arbitrary that's the thing like right. if you give me a hard and a fast rule we can follow it if you give me something that it's like okay it's only like x percentage of the vid- x percentage of the video and x well, words it's also just dumb oh like, yeah it, it's it, totally it, dumb cable it's... networks have stopped pretending that they can't swear right like if you subscribe to youtube tv and you turn on fx and you watch an FX original, like they've stopped pretending that they have to follow any rules, right? Like they will drop an F bomb or whatever. And then on the commercial break, it'll show you a bounty ad. Like cable TV doesn't care about this. Like why is YouTube pretending to? It's it's so stupid. Yeah. And I mean the other thing is I think culturally we are less offended by swearing than we used to be. So this is just getting with the times right but it's getting with the times after they already like weren't like this this is a recent change so it's yeah, like yeah no they, I, I understand that but they did it 
I, I think they, they did it sort of as a reaction. Sure. And so I think admitted weird. that they went too far. Yeah. It still doesn't let you monetize if you swear in the first seven seconds. But beyond that, it should be fine. I don't know. I mean, what, whatever. <sighs> YouTube, get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. Is there a company we like that we can talk about? Like, I don't uh, meta? Can we talk about this oh, meta? No, 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 I didn't know no. what was next on the list. No, no. I kind of like it. I think it's an interesting idea. I think it's an interesting idea. We cannot talk about meta being a company we like. No, no, no. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. So Twitter is a dumpster fire. We all know this. Nobody, like, it's it's hemorrhaging users. The experience sure is, is terrible. So who's going to rescue us from our text-based social network needs? Is it- Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> is it, is it no. Mastodon? Is it- is it uh what were the other ones that were popular for a minute um uh, uh, last year i don't know they all had limits on who could join yeah. and i never even post bothered. news yeah po- yeah what was the other one it was hive mm, post there was one that was Mastodon, really weird i think has some momentum only. but also i mean but now uh, it's truth social oh yeah that was a bad <laughs> yeah. one Let's, that was a bad joke. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> oh, come on. All right, fine. Whatever. It was a joke. <laughs> I, okay, I would so love you to can... sit here and shoot the breeze about how bad that was, but Still I around. also value my life. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You Moving are in on. Florida, so people know where you live. Yeah, true. So this is interesting, right? Because it's decentralized. So obviously the idea here is that like Mastodon, you can start your own instance. You know, Mastodon does not own the instance. It's merely just providing the platform Assuming that Meta follows through with this, you'll be able to interact with other people across your instances, but at the same time, there will be sort of these decentralized kind of self-hosted instances of whatever this ends up being. Very unlike anything Meta has ever done, obviously everything it's done, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp is all very closed off. It's how it makes its money because it tracks you across these closed platforms. Advertisers can target you really well. I don't know if this is just like a magnanimous thing to make it less likely for Mark Zuckerberg to face regulatory scrutiny or if it's going to be like, hey, look, guys, like we did a nice thing. We got rid of Elon Musk from your life and we gave you a Twitter that you actually enjoy with an API that people want to use. I think it's that, right? Or is it like, hey, we see Mastodon as being this like existential threat maybe in a few years let's just cut it off at the knees that's I... like microsoft being like we're scared of linux like it's, i know but look what happened it, there they, they you can now run linux on windows and sure, like you can but but i don't know i mean we've just said it we just named like eight companies that were trying to jump in like Redis twitter was starting its elonification and it's like there is a space in the market for a twitter replacement and like we haven't seen a big company try to jump in and fill it and like meta sees the opportunity here and then like sure maybe they're taking you know ideas from mastodon or whatever but i do think there is a certain level of well how can we get around regulatory bodies that we're going to be mad that we're doing this but yeah i i think it's more of the former than a fear of mastodon um because after all meta is uh solely focused on the the metaverse and and the the future of uh, technology they're going to call it metadon going to be oh my god perfect i will also say i think part of the reason that meta is trying to get into this is because for all of the like self-hosted and whatnot it allows them to supply the pipes it allows them to like de facto be the platform without having to own every single server and be responsible for the data for all of the different pipes because when twitter well and truly went to shit last week 
Mastodon.social also went out because it basically got DDoSed by everybody who's like, okay, I'm freaking done with Twitter. Let's head over to Mastodon and check it out. Because Mastodon Social is, I, I want to say, one of the most, if not the most populated Fediverse instances. And so yes. for most of those people, Twitter went down and then Mastodon immediately went down because that service did not have enough capacity for all those. But I'm on a smaller server and when Twitter went down, I was just fine because I was on a smaller server that didn't have as many people. So I could still see other people's posts. I could still integrate with other people's posts and react to them. But I wasn't hobbled the same way that other server users were. So decentralizing also allows for a more resilient system. But it also does mean that, oh, there's like a bajillion different instances and servers. And in order to follow somebody on a different server, you have to go through extra hoops as opposed to if it's just one single system and everybody has the same user naming scheme right yeah it's a mess it's it's a little and bit of a mess but i also kind of like nothing that it. meta loves more than to create new mess which it's very very good at so we'll see meta is also known for just like oh somebody else is doing something that's vaguely successful we're gonna buy that and they don't have to buy it for this one because it's an open source tool yeah but okay i think this makes sense meta needs some goodwill right now ironically creating a twitter clone that is better than twitter by elon musk which you know if it has a trust and safety team doesn't go down every five minutes and like has an api that developers are allowed to use for free that will literally make people like meta at least like people that care journalists politicians they will be like oh this is something that i will actually use because nobody wants to admit how much they're on instagram or still scroll through facebook but it's true. It all like people spend their lives on Instagram still, and more people than I'm sure would like to admit also go through Facebook still on their phones. So this might just be the thing that wins back some goodwill, and all they need to do is just make it even slightly better than what Twitter has become, uh, which is terrible. So anyway, that'll be interesting. I want to talk for 20 seconds about the Xiaomi 13 Pro, and then we'll end. Okay, this phone blew me away unexpectedly. I have not used a Xiaomi phone before. I mean, I've used them, but they've all been compromised in some way, especially in North America. This phone has ultra-fast charging. It has wireless charging. It has IP68 water resistance. None of the previous flagship Xiaomi phones supported wireless charging or had an IP rating. So first of all, like that's just good. Second of all, the screen on this is superlative, incredible. It has a one-inch sensor, which takes some of the best photos I've ever taken on a phone, period. It was just, this thing has been so much fun to use. Leica optics, really sharp, just super versatile lens system. MIUI is way less of a dumpster fire than ColorOS. Like I was expecting it to be on par with ColorOS. I cannot use ColorOS. I've talked about this in the show. MIUI? totally fine. Android 13, it does all the things that like the launcher has an app drawer, the notifications come through on time. Like I don't have to go into the settings and disable sleep mode for all these apps on a case by case basis. Like just works. Battery life. I'm ending the day at like 60%. I get 5G in Canada and the US, which blew my mind. I was in New York. I got like mid band T-Mobile 5G. Phenomenal. I don't know. I, I know you won't be able to buy this phone in, in the US, but this is the first Xiaomi phone that I've used that has been like, okay, I see what all the fuss is about. Bring this phone 
to North America, compete, compete with Samsung, please. You can do this. Anyway, that's my thing. I know Manuel's writing the review, but I'm going to write an, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be able to write an editorial about how much this phone impressed me because yeah, it took me by surprise. Well, now I'm, now I'm jealous. I'm <laughs> like, I'm, I'm genuinely like, well, I want one. Like the thing is about, about Xiaomi is that like, they want as many Americans using this phone as possible. So they'll send you one. You just say, God, I should reach hey, out. I want this phone. They'll be like, do you want two? I mean, that was the takeaway from MWC for me, which is like walking around and being like, look at all the choice. Look at all the choice. Look at all the choice that Europeans have that Americans will never have. And it's like, I had like multiple conversations, both with like PR reps and just like, I talked to media tech execs for a while about this of like, it's literally like the US is such a duopoly right now. It's like, and I don't mean Samsung and Google. I mean, Samsung and Apple, like it's miserable. And like, it, even if you're like, well, I don't want Samsung, but I want Android. It's like you have Google and OnePlus, Motorola, I guess. I'm using the Moto Edge right now because we never reviewed it and someone has to review it. And so I'm reviewing it. And it's just like, I set it up yesterday and I'm like, this is just not very good. Like, it's fine, but it's not, I wouldn't recommend I'm jumping ahead on my review, but like, I don't know who I would recommend it to. Right. Like it's, yeah. It's yeah. So I, miserable. I yeah. It, I don't know. I, maybe I'll reach out to show me. Cause I, I, I want to try like, especially the one inch sensor. Like I don't think you can get, it's a Sony IMX 989, 989 right? Yeah. yeah. I don't think you can get that on anything in the U S right now. No, it's only that. And the vivo X 90 pro. Yes, I just edited Manuel's review of the vivo. Phone, right. so that's it's on my mind and and he's been impressed with both cameras like with the sensor in general and so yeah i want to try it and i can't because it's not here so well i'll make it happen for you buddy thank you all right that's it that's the show thank you for listening uh if you want to find ara she's somewhere on mastodon.social I'm just like plugging away arawako at worldkey.io this is the problem this is why it won't work <laughs> like this is <laughs> Will. the issue Will is uh, pining Trapped for, in for Twitter a meta hell. decentralized social network. I am scrolling through Instagram, just like posting notes so that nobody can see. Uh, you are all listening to us on the Android Police podcast. Please visit our work, androidpolice.com. Thank you so much for all of your support over the last month. We really appreciate it. Send feedback at podcast at androidpolice.com. We love hearing from you. And until next week, have a great weekend slash week slash life. All right. I'm just going to, no, that's (laughs) not. Until then, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.